Welcome back to the Swift Legacy Podcast, a show where we talk all things Taylor Swift. Hey guys, welcome back to the Swift Legacy Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about songs that Taylor has written and then sold to other artists. We were kind of on the fence as to whether we should include songs that she's collaborated on. So for example, Two is Better Than One by Boys Like Girls, Both of Us by B.O.B. I was going to say Bob again. We had this conversation <laughs> before, um, but we have, we've done a separate episode on songs that Taylor has collaborated on. So if you want to hear about those, then head into our previous our previous episodes. I don't know how, what do you, how would you call it? Head into our, it's like subscribe to our channel. Um, then check out the previous episode. Okay. Yeah. Do that. Check out the previous episode. But in this episode, we are going to be talking about the five songs that she wrote. No, not five. I can't count. One, two, three, four, five, six, six songs that she wrote and were recorded by other artists. So should we start with the one that we think was written first? So Being With My Baby was a song that Taylor wrote with Brett Beavers, who you may recognize the name of because she also co-wrote By The Way with him. So we've got an episode on By The Way. It's one of our favorite unreleased songs. And there is also a song called Wildflower that is copyrighted in Spain and Italy that Brett Beaver and Taylor have both got writing credits on unreleased. It hasn't leaked. We don't know when it was written. It was written in 2004. Oh, well done, Amy. Okay, it was written in 2004. I was going to say we can only assume it's written about 2004 because that's when, by the way, I'm being with my baby were written. Yeah. yeah. That's another potential for the debut vault that we never talk about because we don't know anything else about it. There are so many potentials for the debut vault that we haven't talked about because they're just not leaked. Like we have, we have so many titles of songs and like maybe a release, not a release date, a writing day maybe maybe at a push co-writers but no other information whatsoever so when we talk through things that might be on the debut vault it's a very small percentage of what actually could be there Mm. we've said we've talked about this a lot before but there are so many songs that she wrote before her first album was even released that she could pick from the other albums have limited vaults compared to that I think fearless not so much because fearless was still drawing from some of those early rejects but Something like 1989, I can't imagine having anywhere near as many potential vault songs as debut. Debut has so many. She was writing daily at that point. Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, if any if any of the re-records get like a double feature album or whatever, it should be debut because there is just so much possibility for that album. And debut is the shortest album as well. So I feel like it should have the most vault songs. Well, with that logic, I'm behind that logic for sure. Just to balance it out, please. So Being With My Baby was recorded by Shia Fisher in 2009. I believe, is she an Australian artist or have I completely made that up? I honestly don't know. And I went to go look up her version of this on Apple Music the other day and I couldn't find it. I've I've heard it on YouTube before, but she's not done a huge amount else. Tell you why I couldn't find it. I didn't put the apostrophe in. 
Uh, okay, so technically it's being with my baby, but we just add a G because that's what people who, you know, have a better sense of grammar would do. It's on her 2015 album as well. I don't know why she's put it on two albums. Okay, I have, yes, she was Australian. And was. we do. Is she dead? No, so. <laughs> god we're really tired today so this is this is slightly unhinged so yes she is australian and um, there is actually a picture of her with taylor just one that i've ever seen do you know the one i'm talking about no i have no idea what you're talking about it's on my it's on all too rare i posted it 62 weeks ago amy i can't lie i don't follow all too rare sorry what you don't follow me no <laughs> That's really rude. I'm, I'm going to send you it. I swear half these episodes are just you sending me random things on our WhatsApp. They're not random things. They're things you should know. Oh, I have seen that photo. Yeah, I just didn't realize that was Sheer Fisher. So the fact that this was written early 2004, so Taylor will have been 14, and then it was released in 2009. I wonder when it was like actually sold to her to be recorded. It just, I would... Yes. The thing is, it doesn't make sense to sell it in 2004 and then for it to only be released in 2009. Exactly. That's why I'm thinking it has to have been sold either 2008 or 2009. And in that case, that is so weird to me that she would sell that because uh, I'm not saying it's a bad song. Okay. I'm not saying that, but I'm also not saying it's a good song. It's definitely not her strongest. Exactly. And why... I can see why she would give it away rather than keep it for herself to put on an album. Like she's not going to be putting um, something that she wrote in 2004 on Speak Now. But it, it does seem like kind of an odd one and you kind of have to wonder how it was pitched, whether it was just like in in the vaults, as it were. Who owns this song? Was it recorded when she was signed her development deal with Sony? Yes, it was part of her contract with Sony ATV. Sony ATV? She didn't sign with Sony ATV till 2005, did she? Well, according to this document, it says it was part of her contract with Sony ATV signed in November 2004. Okay, this is a call out to anyone who knows anything about songwriting and publishing deals in the music industry, because we admittedly are not the most knowledgeable and do get a little bit confused by all the different deals Taylor has had over the years. And we were just talking about this before we started recording this episode. So anyone who knows anything else about all this, feel free to correct us, message us. We'll get you on an episode to explain all this to us and everyone else. I think the main thing that we get confused between is her contract with Sony ATV and RCA, because obviously one is a publishing deal, one is a development deal. And the fact that the ATV one supposedly ran until 2019, we just, we don't understand. <laughs> so if, like Molly says, if there is anyone out there who has a legal Music City brain, that would be awesome. We would we would love to ask you a few questions. So do give us a message on Instagram or, you know, Twitter, whatever you can find us on Swift Legacy Podcast. Do give us a call on 897 0 it's like one of those radio adverts. Oh, 800 00 1066. Oh, no, the one that 
cool there was one um that was always on the local radio because I lived in Hertfordshire but like it's hot hot beds and bucks Hertfordshire Bedfordshire Buckshire and there was one that was like cool it was like a skips thing I think but it was like cool da 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 eight nine seven triple low and that always gets stuck <laughs> in my head and I have oh no idea God. what it was for it was like skip higher what I was going to say though with that is I don't necessarily think it would have been her like she would have been that involved she would have been aware that it was being sold but I don't think it would have been her who made the decision to sell it so the album that this song was on which is her self-titled album which was I believe her second album actually reached number one on the Australia and Australian country music charts which let's be honest the Australian country music scene isn't exactly particularly thriving or competitive um so I'm not I'm not it's not like reaching number one on the media based charts in Nashville but it's it's still good it's still good for for what it is so should we move on to the next one I feel like we probably have more to say about the next few yeah okay so the next one is called this is really happening and I'm sure if you're into unreleased music you will have heard Taylor's version of it it was written in November 2004 by Taylor and Blue Sanders if that name sounds familiar that is because Blue Sanders wrote Hold On which Taylor was featured on with Jack Ingram back in 2007 this is really happening was recorded by Brittany Hoover in 2007. She has 588 followers on Instagram. <laughs> My gosh, maybe we should talk to her. Maybe we should message her. Be like, hey, bestie, you want to talk about this song that you didn't write? We quite, quite possibly could. To be honest, it seems like Brittany Hoover kind of disappeared after, after that. I can't find a Wikipedia page or any real information on her so we could kind of chat about the song but other than that I mean this is one of my favorite unreleased songs really I it was definitely at one point so I feel like it still holds a little bit of a special place in my heart a lot of it was to do with that opening lyric which I didn't know at the time but was ripped from in quotation marks because obviously they weren't credited because it wasn't released but it comes from a killer's song uh midnight show so the opening lyric is um beneath the chandelier of stars and atmosphere which i think is such a beautiful lyric but then even if you carry it on it's um tangled like the roots on the ground i think it's it gives me sweet tea and god's graces right i can see what you mean i mean yeah the Beneath the Chandelier of Stars in Atmosphere was the lyric in The Killer's Midnight Show. So it's it's an uncredited interpolation, shall we say. <laughs> Ripping it from a Reddit user, Amy. <laughs> oh, is that, I, no, you said that earlier. I didn't realise that, you, that you'd read that on Reddit. No, I'd ripped that from a Reddit user. That's what I, I read it the other day. I, and I knew it was, but I just wanted a reminder of the name of the Killer's song. I thought that you um, had been that articulate yourself, but you just stole it from Reddit. Yep. We give credit to the random Reddit user. We have a studio version of This Is Really Happening. And there is an acoustic version out there somewhere, which the Inner Circle do in fact own. Um, The master of this song is owned by Sony. So we can only assume that this again was part of her ATV contract with Sony Publishing. Was this one of those ones that, and I would have been like nine maybe at the time this was happening, maybe younger. So I don't know much about it, but there was a list that Sony put out of, I think, about nine songs that were illegal to own. 
Oh my back, god. Back when trading was really big. Yeah. No, that that rings a bell. And I can't remember what songs were on it, but there weren't that many. I don't know if those are the only ones that are considered Sony songs or whether there's more. Tell I feel what? like there are more, but maybe those were the ones that had leaked, like Nashville. No, but some of them hadn't leaked, which was why it was weird. It says that Sony put out a list of songs they didn't want on the internet. And those songs aren't even in her Sony catalogue online, like Nash- Nashville, That's When, etc. And so the songs are brought up that way, Me and Britney, Nashville, Revenge, $10 and a six pack, That's When, This Is Really Happening, Under My Head, Wait For Me, and Welcome Distraction. But Me and Britney and $10 were possibly even written before the contract. That's a fair point. Mm. Weird. It is weird that, like, like we say, we don't properly understand the behind the scenes legal 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 <laughs> I, was, I was going somewhere for legal and legality and it kind of just just ended up legal you know we don't <laughs> understand the legal so the next one that we're going to talk about is permanent marker which i'm sure is an unreleased song that we all know and love now this was very strongly considered for fearless um and cuts. this is gonna be on my next album shut up like if you liar. have seen like you know like a liar I don't even know what I'm quoting that. I know it's a meme. I know it's a reference to something. I have no idea. It's it's a thing. Um, please let us know if you if you know what I'm talking about. Um, so if you've seen videos of Taylor performing Permanent Marker live, she often before the song says that it's gonna be on her next album and it wasn't. So it, it was, was also re- on the mirror, wasn't it? I be- yeah, it was on the mirror as well. I feel like we need to put up a if you check out our instagram by the time this episode is out i will put up a picture of that mirror track list we do talk about the the elusive mirror quite a lot and if people don't know yeah yeah we need to do that definitely okay. i don't even know if i've still got the picture i just have i have a mental image of this mirror track list like i could always tell you one two three four dark blue tennessee was track five as it should be mm. I'll I'll get it for you if you want. Okay, so Permanent Marker was written in 2005 and it was co-written with Nick Brophy, who wrote Diary of Me, and Jennifer Hansen. Now, as far as we're aware, Jennifer Hansen didn't write anything else with Taylor, but she is an incredible songwriter. So check her stuff out because she wrote for the Wreckers and I'm a big fan. <laughs> okay, um, so this was recorded by an artist called Mary Sarah and released in 2010 and I believe she was 15 when this album when this song and the album was released sounds um, about 15 yeah she she sounds young fun fact she used to be in kids bop I did not know this fun fact and I just read that and I was very surprised well actually no I'm not surprised at all like she has the voice for kids bop and she sounds kids boppy yeah I feel like permanent marker could be a kids bop song I feel like this is the kids' bopification of the actual permanent marker. This isn't like, this isn't permanent marker. This is permanent marker brackets kids' bop version. I feel like we've done an episode on permanent marker before. I think it was our very first unreleased song episode. And I feel yes, like Rachel said that time. exact thing before we even knew Mary Sarah was actually part of kids' bop. Oh my God. <laughs> no, we, we have done a full episode on permanent marker. If you would like to hear more about that song in detail, the backstory, the lyrics, bit more about it in general so shall we move on to you'll always find your way back home you can change your hair and you can change your clothes 
I love I this saw, song. I saw someone talking about this on something. And I don't know if they just, like, messed up the lyrics or they were trying to, like, condense it. But it was like, you can change your personality and you can change your clothes. Did <laughs> see write that? Possibly. <laughs> okay, so basically we don't know when this was written, but we know that it was recorded by Miley Cyrus for the Hannah Montana, the movie soundtrack. It was recorded in 2008 and released in 2009. Now going with that, I would say it was written early 2008 or late 2007 at a push. I feel like the later makes more sense or as in like, not the latter, the later is in written 2008. I think the fact that it's written with Martin Johnson, who also wrote or co-wrote, if this was a movie, two is better than one, and Drama Queen. Drama Queen, we know is a speak now reject. I feel like late 2007 feels too early to be writing with him at all. That's a fair point. I mean, we didn't realise until the other day that Martin Johnson had co-written You'll Always Find Your Way Back Home. And I, I saw it and I messaged Molly and we were like, wait, what the fuck? Because he is, he's, I'm, I feel like we're referencing mirror pictures a lot today, but he is the other mirror picture guy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. If, okay, if you guys, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, there is a picture of him and Taylor taken in a mirror in like 2008, would you say? I would, I would usually say 2007, but looking at when they actually wrote together, I think it's more likely to be 2008. I always thought it was 2008. Like you think 2008, Fearless hadn't even been released yet, not until the very end of 2008 anyway. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, Okay, just for context, they wrote Drama Queen in the last two weeks of September 2008. Yeah. So I feel like mid-2008. Do we know if this was a movie was written? If this was a movie was written April 2009. Oh. Myth busted. Well, there wasn't really there was no myth, but <laughs> you get my point. It's fine. Two is better than one. Two is better than one was written in 2008. That's all we know. Oh, okay. So we know they were working together 2008, early 2009. I doubt they were working together as early as 2007. So that puts this song somewhere in 2008. Yeah, I would. It's so weird to think that this writing team wrote you'll always find your way back home if this was a movie two is better than one and drama queen i mean we don't have drama queen but if this was a movie and you'll always find your way back home they could not be more different i know i know what do you actually think of this song i have to go back to little eight-year-old me who loved hannah montana i had no idea this was written by taylor this was my favorite song on the hannah montana soundtrack really? i jammed this in the car yeah over hoedown throwdown yeah you know what ice cream freeze over hoedown throwdown i've said this to you before get out hoedown throwdown just doesn't slap like ice cream freeze does fun fact i know the dance to both of those i know i learned the dance to hoedown throwdown over facetime with you yeah i feel like we we need to put context in this (laughs) in the first lockdown when everyone was going crazy I was re-watching Hannah Montana and we were talking about it a lot. And I was like, do you know how to do the hold on throwdown dance? And Molly was like, no, but I've always wanted to. I was like, yeah, me too. Uh, then we found a tutorial and FaceTimed 
going over and over and over the tutorial until we finally learned how to do it. And I can still do it. I gave up, I have no. to say. Well, my room is not big enough. So I like did it in the kitchen. And the amount of people <laughs> that came downstairs were like, Molly, what are you doing? <laughs> like the hoedown, throwdown, throwdown. Such a good. I don't know. When does it even play in the movie? Is it the beginning? No, it plays at the end when after she's sung the climb and she's been like, I'm actually Miley. And then they're all like, put the wig back on. We'll keep your secret. (laughs) And then she just continues, continues as if, you know, she hadn't just revealed her secret identity to the entire of Crowley Corners, who apparently are now going to keep it a secret. Um, Then she sings, (laughs) you'll always find your way back home. And it's when... She, she does like the outfit change at the back of the stage um, and then they go on the truck and like go through the crowd on the truck and like, oh, yeah, that yeah, funny yeah. dance. For some reason, right, let me find the Hannah Montana soundtrack. For some reason on mine, it was the first song, like not in the movie, obviously. But uh, Honestly, unpopular opinion. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion. I bet you but you don't like it, do you? I was going to say, actually, the Hannah Montana soundtrack, like the Hannah Montana, the movie soundtrack is one of the most elite albums ever it's the first song on the soundtrack for some reason that's strange you know what song makes me cry butterfly fly away i think we all cry at butterfly fly away and the climb yeah and you know what you know what i would say might be i'm not saying my favorite song because crazy it's my favorite song in the climb but i really love back to tennessee oh my god amy of course you do like I know but uh, yeah it's it's an elite it's an elite soundtrack and I truly believe it deserved a Grammy okay that's going too far but it's a very good soundtrack it's not going too far Hannah Montana deserved a Grammy you know what song I was it Rockstar Supergirl Supergirl is oh I hate Supergirl (gasps) rock star on the other hand is incredible super super girl it's so annoying no it's so good also who says is really annoying who says who says you can't be superman i say i say say that i know i can (laughs) i can't think who says without thinking of that selena gomez song to a beautiful, beautiful life. life. I used to be such a Selena Gomez fan. Same. Yeah, Dark Ages. The first like three albums, I was obsessed. To be fair, some of those albums had some very good songs in them. I used to just listen to Kiss and Tell, the album, over and over again. That was one of the first albums I ever bought. The first song I ever bought was like with my own money was "Best Thing I Never Had" by Beyonce. <laughs> oh my god, no! That's so cliche. Really. Yeah. Okay. So moving on from our little Selena Gomez detour and the Disney era, and we will take quite a big time jump to 2016, where the famous Nils Schoberg or Schoberg or Schoberg, 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 Schoberg. Okay, the Nils Schoberg drama. Um, with this is what you came for, which I'm sure I was gonna say, I'm sure you'll all remember this, but I have to remember that actually 2016 was six years ago. 
Were you about to say eight? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're not that old, Amy. No, 2016 was six years ago. And I feel like so many people actually became fans after 2016 now. Like rep. I think rep yeah. made a lot of people fans. And folklore. I think folklore in specific. Like as well. In, not in specific, in particular, because I think folklore very much opened her up to the people who'd previously had misogynistic misconceptions about her. I think this is just my opinion. I might be wrong. Please. Please get in touch if I'm wrong. I don't think folklore gave her many hardcore fans, but I think folklore made people who didn't have as much respect for her as an artist because they associated her with kind of pop. Yeah. Kind of really gained some respect for her. And I think it opened her up to fans of other genres, whereas rep, I think, made a lot of people hardcore fans. That's a fair point. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you there. I know so many people who became fans in rap era, which doesn't make sense to me, but like, there we go. No, it doesn't really. Like, it was very much a um, inside looking out rather than outside looking in era. Yeah. Any sense. Like 1989 is very much an outside looking in era, whereas I feel like Reputation was kind of a for us era. Reputation almost feels like you needed so much context to understand that era. Exactly. And like, I don't understand how people came for people became fans without the context it's like reading the old myspace posts with no context why did i think you were gonna say it's like reading the old testament of the bible what no oh reputation the old testament of the bible corporate wants you to identify the difference between these two pictures it's the same picture (laughs) okay so molly if people have joined the fandom since 2016 how would you describe the this is what you came from era drama (laughs) this is what you came from right I might be getting some of my facts hazy because I don't remember the exact timeline within how this happened essentially all we all I remember is that Taylor and Calvin were dating at the time oh gosh how here we go so it was when Bleachella was a thing wasn't it and Taylor was promoing the hell out of this song. And she was not credited on this song at all. Like, I think everyone thought she's just promoing it because it's her boyfriend's song. And she was seen at Coachella with that jacket on with the little circle, blue circle in the on the back. And it was like, a, this is what you came for, jacket or something like that. I remember that so clearly. And it got to the point where everyone was like, right, she's got to have something to do with this song. And the song comes out. And the writing credits are Calvin Harris and Neil Schoberg. Neil Schoberg does not exist. Like, people were researching it. This person is non-existent. There was actually a guy called Nils Schoberg. <gasps> oh, God, I remember this. Yeah. You remember that? There was, like, an article where, where he was interviewed and he was like, my life's been ruined because they used my name. People were bad like, into me. But I remember people were, like, trying to track this guy down and work out, like... Yeah, oh, fully, it was, yeah, it was mad. I mean, this was the Taylor Swift fandom at the time. I think it's calmed down a little bit now, but people were slightly insane. Um, people still are slightly insane, but I think it's a smaller proportion now. But or maybe they just like hide away under the word were ready to like pounce. They don't have anything to work off these days. Taylor gives them nada, and I love it for her. Um, <laughs> anyway, so this guy could not be identified. 
And so people start thinking it's Taylor. And if you listen to the song carefully, you can hear vocals that we now know that it was her, but sound a lot like her, sort of in the background. So it was kind of widely accepted, but she wasn't credited. She never said she had anything to do with it, whatever. Then they break up and Calvin goes on this entire like Twitter rampage and I can't remember exactly what he tweeted but it was slightly unhinged and in it he credited Taylor for that song and said yep she wrote back she wrote on that song she also did backing vocals great artist he said nothing bad about her at all I can't remember what exactly the Twitter girl what do you remember he didn't say anything bad about her I mean no he didn't say anything bad about her it was all very unhinged it was all a bit weird Okay, right. Okay. I'm, I found it because I want to read through it because I okay. just remember, I remember when this happened and we were all just like, whoa, mm. get a grip. Okay, right. Let's go. I figure if you're happy in your new relationship, you should focus on that instead of trying to tear your ex-boyfriend down for something to do. Oh, wait, hold on. Go back. What was the context? What did Taylor do? I can't remember. Wait, let me read the article. I need to find out what... It was something to do with... I don't know if she liked a tweet or like... Like, it really wasn't that big. I think it, I think she literally just confirmed that she'd been Nils Joburg. Schoberg, yeah. Yeah, that she'd that written it. I, well. Maybe she liked a tweet, but basically I think what happened was she confirmed that she'd been an uncredited writer. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, then the Twitter rant goes on. Hurtful to me at this point that her and her team would go so far out of their way to try and make me look bad at this stage, though. Thinking emoji. (laughs) I wrote the music, produced the song, arranged it, and cut the vocals, though. And initially, she wanted it kept secret, hence the pseudonym. And she sings on a little bit of it, too. Amazing lyric writer, and she smashed it as usual. God bless everyone. Have a beautiful day. Please. Wait, wait, wait. It hasn't finished. Please focus on the positive aspects of your life because you've earned a great one. I know you're off tour and you need someone new to try and bury like Katie, etc. But I'm not that guy. Sorry, I won't allow it. I forgot how bad it was, actually. Yeah. He's a bit of an arsehole. I never liked Calvin Harris. Oh no. I mean there were though let's be honest, there were so many red flags in that relationship. I literally have a master list of them. <laughs> of course you do. Of course but I do. No, I he didn't he get into another, or am I thinking am I confusing it with Zane? I somehow feel like he was involved in this. Do you remember when Zane, like there was a tweet, like after he broke up with Perry Edwards, there was a tweet that was like, Who do you prefer? like retweet for Little Mix, like for Fifth Harmony or something. And he liked it. <laughs> like, I don't know how petty that is, but it's so funny. I feel like that must have been Zane. That was like, Zane, but for some reason, I think Calvin Harris was involved at some point in that. Let's, let's just blame it on him. Yeah, it's you probably Calvin's fault. What was his actual remember? name? Adam. Sorry, what? I said, what was his actual name? Adam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it do you is. remember when everyone used to call him Trash Bin? <laughs> I called him Calvin. <laughs> or calcium. Was, Everyone calls him calcium. Calcium. That was it. No, that was that was such a strange era. I feel like as a fandom. <gasps> Do you remember the one year video? 
please god don't make me remember the one year video with the cake <laughs> not the cake she looked so tortured she was like i'm so happy to be here <laughs> it's like gun to your head <laughs> no they they oh, were done no. i think by the end of tour i know yeah that is that is just um a bit too much <laughs> Let's move on to the final song on this list, which is Better Man. Now, we know that this was recorded by Little Big Town and released in 2016. We also know that it was originally intended for the Red album, then cut, but then put on Red Taylor's version. And I think we can say we're all very happy with it. We all love this song. I think it was very well loved when it was released initially by little big town as well yeah i mean definitely commercially it won a grammy it won a cma and a cmt award do we know when this was written let me have a look my spreadsheet is malfunctioning 2011 oh yeah of course it was but when it was released initially in 2016 by little big town we had no confirmation of when it was written except we did because it was registered wasn't it and Rachel found it you'd have to ask her it was written March 19th 2011 Uh uh-huh we didn't know the exact date but we knew that it'd been registered in either 2011 or 2012 which essentially ruled out Calvin Harris altogether and I remember Rachel posting about this constantly and no one would listen to her and everyone was like it's about Calvin Harris it's about Calvin Harris and we were like no it's not it literally can't be unless this woman can time travel it's not about Calvin Harris did we um, ever decide who we thought it was about Drake was that was there not an argument for it being a John Mayer song oh it's so Jake come on with the context of the rest of the Red Album and um the bravest thing you ever did was run and we know that she kept going back to him she never did that with um john okay yeah i know i just for some reason in the back of my head i i still have this little like is it a john mayer song but i i know it's not i don't think john mayer was i think i've said this before like i don't think it was ever a proper relationship mm. in i think it was it was one of those situations where she viewed it as something that was more than it actually was and he just thought they were kind of messing around is the wrong word but like you know what I mean like it, it it was a um more than a friends with benefits situation but like that kind of thing unfortunately that's all we've got time for today but thanks for listening and don't forget to follow us on social media for exclusive content and we'll see you again next week with a new episode of the swift legacy podcast 